Welcome to Wellness Now, a health and wellness information program brought to you by Valleywise Health and District Medical Group. Each week we go in depth with different healthcare experts on some of your top health questions, getting answers to help you live your best life. Hello and welcome to Wellness Now, presented by Valleywise Health and District Medical Group. I'm your host, Dr. Michael White. It's estimated that 25 million adults and children in the U.S. have asthma, and this disease is becoming more widespread. So today we're answering your top questions about asthma with Dr. Edward Carter. He's a pediatric pulmonologist and a district medical group physician at Valleywise Health. Dr. Carter, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Dr. White. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about your career and what you do as a pediatric pulmonologist. Well, I've been a pediatric pulmonologist now for 30 years, and basically that's a physician that takes care of children with respiratory disorders, and one of the most common ones that we take care of is asthma, but there are plenty of others. So that kind of helps us leap into the topic today. What is asthma, and can you explain that to us, you know, just briefly? That's a very good question, because we're not really exactly sure what asthma is, but we know what asthma does. So asthma is an inflammatory process that affects the bronchial tubes. Those are the tubes that bring air to your lungs. Those tubes can get inflamed and make mucus. They can get narrowed, and there's muscles around those tubes that can go into spasm. When all that happens, this inflammatory process causes narrowing of the bronchial tubes, and that causes shortness of breath, cough, mucus production, and what we call wheezing and shortness of breath and asthma attacks. What are some of the more common triggers that can cause this inflammatory reaction in someone's lungs? So there are a couple of common ones. Uh, one that you hear about a lot is allergy. Allergies, uh, pollens uh, that you inhale can trigger an inflammatory response in the bronchial tubes that triggers the process of asthma. Another big one is respiratory infections, like plain old head colds like rhinovirus. They uh, are a very common trigger for severe asthma attacks. And the third one is weather changes, when, especially when the monsoons come in and there's a major weather change. That can cause uh, the airways to get inflamed and to trigger an asthma attack. You know, one of the things that I noted as we were kind of preparing for this is the rates of asthma seem to be increasing, at least in the United States population. Is that true? And is there any particular reason why we're starting to see that? The rates are not increasing over the past decade. They haven't, but they're high. And so if you look back over the past several decades, there definitely has has been an increase in the asthma uh, prevalence. But over the past 10 years, it's leveled off, but at a very high level, one in every 10 people in Arizona have asthma. And I would say a quarter of them don't even know they have it. So it's very, very common. And it doesn't present the same way in everybody. So lots of times people think they just have chronic bronchitis or just a chronic cough, and they don't really, don't really know that they're, they're experiencing asthma. Is there any particular reason why we've seen that peak? Well, I think that the reason we saw an increase in prevalence was awareness. We just diagnosed it better. And part of the increase we see now is also uh, awareness. We just know more people are knowing that they have asthma, more doctors are thinking about it. But there are other things that affect asthma prevalence, and that's the air quality. The worse the air quality is, the more likely you're going to have asthma trouble. Just the increased population and a little bit more crowding. When you have more crowding, you're going to have more infection risk. 
and have more difficulty. But the truth of the matter is we don't understand that much about really what causes asthma or why it increases. We do know that there's a, a hereditary component, that there's a genetic component, and that it does tend to run in families. One of the big things that people often equate to, and you, you mentioned it earlier around there, is the allergies and asthma. How are allergies and asthma different, or is this just one big long continuum that can affect the lungs? That's a really good question because they're very closely associated, but they are different. When you have an allergy to something, let's say you inhale a tree pollen that you're allergic to, your body recognizes that as a foreign object and it starts a cascade of events in the body that releases inflammatory chemicals that create reactions and swelling, but it doesn't have to be in the lungs. It can be in the eyes, where you have itchy, watery eyes, or it could be sneezing and a lot of nasal congestion, which is really common, allergic rhinitis, or it can occur on the skin, where you have eczema, or it can cause asthma, inflammation of the bronchial tubes, but it doesn't have to cause all of those. But often, they are together. But sometimes you just have reactions that cause the airway inflammation of asthma. Other times you just have rhinitis. And so that's, that's a different type of an inflammatory response. Whereas asthma is also an inflammatory response, but it's not always caused by the allergic response. It can be caused by other chemical responses that trigger reactions in the body. So while allergies and asthma are closely related, they are not the same type of inflammatory response all the time. You know, we've talked about asthma. Are there different types of asthma that we deal with, you know, and that you see on a regular basis? Asthma is a sort of an end-stage inflammatory process that's triggered by various, various and sundry things. It doesn't necessarily have to be allergies, as we were saying. But there are different types of asthma. They all present with the same type of problems, airway narrowing, coughing, wheezing, shortness of breath, asthma attacks. Some are triggered more by neutrophilic response, and we'll see that in adults, where they don't have an allergic component at all, but they have severe asthma, and it doesn't really respond well to uh, asthma medications. We have toddlers who don't have a big allergy component, but wheeze very badly with colds. They get a head cold and they wheeze very badly. In between colds, they're fine. And then you have the typical allergic asthmatic who has lots of allergies, and gets around pollens and starts having asthma attacks. So there are different types of asthma, but they all end up presenting in the same way eventually. If you're just tuning in, we're talking about asthma with pulmonologist Dr. Edward Carter. Valleywise Health offers exceptional health care at several locations across Maricopa County. If you need medical care or have questions for one of our clinicians, visit valleywisehealth.org to get started. So when we see asthma, we often see that it's maybe more prevalent in children. And that's kind of as you were kind of explaining the different with toddlers and allergics and things. Is there any particular reason that we see this more often in children than we do in adults? I, I think we actually see it pretty commonly in both. It's just in children, they don't have other lung diseases that mimic asthma. So in adults, you have chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and emphysema. And a lot of times those adults with asthma reactions sort of get lumped into that group. So it's more difficult to tease out who has asthma in adults than it is in children. When children cough and wheeze and have difficulty over the age of two years old, you pretty much know that that's asthma. Whereas adults, when they have coughing and wheezing, they could have chronic bronchitis, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, 
overlap syndrome where they have both. And so they get diagnosed a little differently. Is this a disease that we noticed? Is there any difference between men and women? Or is it, can it affect both genders you know, equally? It, can, it affects both genders equally, I believe, in adults. But I'm a pediatric specialist. And in kids, I know a little bit more about that. And in kids, it's interesting, in younger children, prepubertal, it's more common in boys. So the toddler wheezing and young asthmatics, they're more boys than girls. As girls go through puberty, and boys go through puberty, it changes. So there's more teenagers with asthma who are girls than boys. Is there any particular reason that we've found because of that? Well, we think there's probably some kind of a hormonal process that's involved, but we don't really understand why boys are more likely to wheeze as, as toddlers. Very interesting around that. So we've talked a lot about asthma, but we really haven't talked about how you, know, you go about as a pulmonologist being able to diagnose this condition for, for us to be able to guide our treatment. So how is asthma diagnosed? Asthma is diagnosed in children primarily by the history, the story that, that parents tell us about their children or the children tell us. Uh, the testing for asthma is not as useful in children, especially young children, as it is in adults. So we go by the history, what the story is. And it's lots of coughing because of airway irritation causing coughing. So lots of coughing that doesn't seem to go away, doesn't seem to be necessarily associated with illness. Uh, shortness of breath, especially with exercise wheezing and, and episodes of respiratory distress that recur because recurrent respiratory distress in children from infections like pneumonia or true bronchitis are really rare, but recurrent respiratory distress from asthma is very common. And since asthma is so common, it's always on the top of our list of chronic breathing problems. So you take the history, you, you know how it presents, coughing in the middle of the night, one interesting thing is asthma gets worse in the middle of the night in adults and kids, and it has to do with the inflammatory chemicals in the body tend to peak in the middle of the night. So the reaction of the airways, the swelling and the irritation is worse at night. So adults will wake up short of breath and kids will wake up coughing. So coughing at night, waking up short of breath at night, that helps. What are some of the other warning signs or symptoms that somebody may be having an asthma attack? What you're looking for are things that tell us that there's airway narrowing. So coughing doesn't cause airway narrowing, but it's an early sign of asthma. But as the airways narrow, it's like breathing through a straw. It's harder to breathe, so you have to suck in harder. And in asthma, the airways tend to collapse as you breathe out, so there's a lot of trouble getting air out of the airways. So it's trouble taking air in, but especially trouble breathing air out, and then shortness of breath, and coughing, not being able to, uh, to take a, a deep breath and exhale it rapidly. Uh, so if you have what are called chest retractions where you're sucking so hard that your stomach's sucking in and your chest is sucking in, that tells you that it's really hard to get the air through those airways and that's a warning sign that you're having a significant asthma attack. So we've talked a lot about you know this. So how do we begin to treat these individuals um, to make sure that they aren't having significant impacts from you know these sensations of not being able to breathe well? Yeah. So step one is you have to make the diagnosis. So everybody needs to be aware of how to diagnose. The doctors need to be aware of how common it is and what are the signs and symptoms. And parents need to be aware too. And once you know that, we have effective medicines to manage asthma, but not to cure it. There is no asthma cure. 
but we have medicines, steroid inhalers, that can help decrease the airway inflammation on a, you take those on a daily basis. We have medicines, albuterol, that relax the muscles around the bronchial tubes and give you immediate relief. So the combination of albuterol for immediate relief and steroid medicines to control the inflammation are very effective in controlling asthma. For those that are more, you know, an allergic type asthma type reaction, are there any things that we can do through allergy injections and shots that may help with these individuals? First is to, to determine what the patient's reacting to. And once you can do that with allergy testing, and there's allergy blood testing and allergy skin testing to common allergens that we breathe in. We call those aeroallergens. They're mostly pollens and then animal, cat, cat and dog dander. And once you know what you're allergic to, you can try to avoid those. That's step one. If you have severe allergies with really bad itchy watery eyes and runny nose and bad asthma and you have a lot of allergies, there are allergy shots that you can take called immunotherapy, but you have to take those on a weekly basis. There are other monthly injections now that can be used in both allergic asthma and other asthma, which uh, are very effective. And they're sort of a third line treatment. So if the inhaled medications and the steroid medications aren't working, we have a, now a, a whole another group of injectable agents that can be used to treat more severe asthma. Dr. Edward Carter is answering your top question about asthma and allergies. You can make a virtual or in-person appointment with a district medical group provider at Valleywise Health by calling 833-855-9973 Monday through Friday from 7.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. or by visiting valleywisehealth.org and clicking the book appointment button. What would happen if individuals get these recurrent asthma exacerbations or asthma attacks and we go untreated. What is some of the long-term consequences and complications of this, especially since you know, when you diagnose it at such a young age in this pediatric population? That's a very good question because there are different, different schools of thought on that. Um, and the jury's out as to whether undertreated asthma that's rather severe in childhood will cause trouble in adulthood. But we know that undertreated asthma puts you at risk to die from asthma. Asthma can be a lethal disease, and if you don't treat it and those airways stay narrow and you ignore it, you could have an attack that will, will cause severe uh, respiratory distress, hospitalization, and even death. So that's one thing. We definitely want to prevent that. The other is that there is a, a school of thought that if you do not treat the airway inflammation of asthma aggressively and it's severe, that it can remodel the airway so that those airways never can reverse to normal again. And it could lead to, this, to chronic obstructive lung disease that we see in adults. So there is a relationship between undertreated asthma and COPD, but it's still not really clear how strong that relationship is. This undertreated or untreated asthma in childhood lead to other problems that the children may have around development, activity, and some of those things? Definitely. So first is if you have severe asthma as a child and it goes untreated, it will affect your growth. You will not grow well. And of course, the biggest difficulties with undertreated asthma have to do with loss of function. You miss school. You get behind in school. You're up at night coughing. You're tired. You can't play sports. You can't, you can't do normal activities. You get isolated. And so the better we can control asthma in childhood, the more normal that child's life can be.
we were talking earlier about infectious causes of this and the infectious causes of asthma. And certainly one of the most notable infections that we've all dealt with is the novel coronavirus or COVID-19, you know, that we're going through now. And certainly here, as we're recording this, starting to see an uptick around the United States of the number of pediatric, you know, patients that are affected with COVID-19 disease around that. So are folks that get COVID-19 that have asthma, having more difficulties as you're, you know, seeing this, you know, infection start to be more prevalent in the pediatric population. It's really interesting about COVID because we were really concerned that it would trigger asthma attacks. And what we know about COVID-19 is that it doesn't really trigger asthma attacks. It causes respiratory disease, especially pneumonia in its own right, but it doesn't trigger asthma attacks. And the best evidence of that is once we isolated from other viruses and, and by using masks and social distancing, which is very effective against other viruses in addition to COVID-19, we saw our hospitalization rate in children for asthma go way down, not just here at Valleywise, but across the nation. And so the hospitalization rate's gone down about 80% for asthma over the, the COVID period. And that's due to isolation and prevention of other viruses. So. And we know children are getting COVID, even though 19, even though they're not particularly sick with it, but it's not triggering their asthma. However, if you have severe asthma and you get COVID-19 pneumonia and you happen to have asthma too, it's going to be worse. So COVID-19 doesn't trigger asthma, but the combination of asthma and COVID-19 pneumonia is a bad one. So I'm going to shift gears here, and we talked we've a lot we've talked a lot about allergies throughout our conversation here. But I thought I'd shift to just focus a little bit more on that here for a short period of time. You know, we've talked a little bit. What are some of the most common allergies that we type to see in this particular patient population around it? We talked a little bit about pets and plants, but are there other things that we can see here? Yeah. So in Arizona, one of our biggest is Bermuda grass. Not all year round, but we have a lot of it, and it's a big problem here. Lots of kids are allergic to Bermuda grass, and the other one are, are trees, mesquite trees, olive trees. So the, the outdoor pollens are still a big player in Arizona. We talked about cat and dog, but also molds can do it. So if you live in a moldy house uh, and you're, you react to molds, you could have trouble with those. Interestingly, dust mite's a big problem across most of the country, but it doesn't like dry weather, so we do not have a big dust mite problem, which is nice. We don't have to do dust mite and avoidance measures as much as other parts of the country. You know, we talked about the outdoor air pollution. What, what is the challenges around indoor air pollution, and is that something that we have to worry about with these allergens in those folks that may be affected with asthma? It is. Fortunately, we're in such a warm climate, we do, do not use a lot of wood-burning stoves, but there are households that use wood to, to cook with. So indoor pollutants are particulate uh, pollutants, uh, and you see that with wood-burning stoves or fireplaces, and that's an irritant. And any irritant is going to make those irritated airways worse and can trigger asthma. So if you avoid wood-burning stoves and a lot of smoky cooking in the home, usually you do pretty well. Dr. Edward Carter is ask, answering your top questions today about allergies and asthma. You know, we've talked a little bit about, you know, immunotherapy or allergy shots a minute ago, you know, as we were talking about asthma. Are there other things that we use as clinicians that we can do to help treat folks that may be suffering from these types of allergies? Well, one of the interesting allergy treatments uh, 
with respect to asthma is just nasal steroid spray. So we talked about steroid medications, anti-inflammatory steroids that are very effective in inhaler form for asthma. And there's a very common nasal sprays, nasal cord and Flonase and for the nose that are quite effective to treat nasal allergies. What's been shown is that if you have severe nasal allergies and you treat those with nasal steroids, it can sometimes control the lower airways inflammation of asthma. So that if you control your allergies from the, in the head, especially with steroid medications, not so much antihistamines, you can help decrease the inflammation in the lungs. So they're interrelated. The other is just avoidance. And so the big, the big issue in, in Arizona is everybody has dogs and lots of people allergic to them. And some asthmatics have very mild reactions and don't have, they have mild asthma and they get around dogs, it's not a big deal. Others, they get around dogs are in the hospital. So you have to use your judgment as to how hard you're gonna push the family to limit exposure to their pets. And it's certainly a challenge, you know, when you're dealing with these types of, you know, airway diseases in this. You know, we've talked a lot about being in Arizona, a dry, you know, warm climate, and certainly the benefit around there not having the dust mites is, is, is significant. Are there other benefits around, you know, living in this type of climate for the treatment of asthma? You know, oftentimes you hear that, you know, it's better for a, dr a drier type environment, maybe have better control of this over somewhere where it's more humid and moist. Yeah, it's a really good question because I don't think for an individual person, you can predict where they're going to do better. So I've practiced in Florida, Tennessee, Seattle, Washington, Arizona. When I was in the military, I had patients from all over the country transferred in from various places overseas. And asthma is bad everywhere. And you don't really know where you're going to have trouble. So I had patients who came to me from one area who did worse in Arizona. Others that came and did better in Arizona. So the only way you're really going to know is to live in a place for a couple of years and see how you do. So my advice has always been, don't try to move someplace to try to get away from asthma, because asthma's everywhere. You know, as we're kind of ending our time here together today, are there three things that we could do and tell our audience that, to educate them around asthma and do the, to form a relationship if we're concerned that our children may have this? Okay, well, the first is to be aware that asthma is not always asthma attacks with severe distress that it's sometimes just chronic cough. So if you have, a, if you yourself are having chronic bronchitis or a cough that just won't go away, especially after getting a regular cold, or your kids are having that, think about asthma. And that's something that we tend to forget about, that asthma can present mostly as cough. So that's one thing. Two is if you have asthma, don't downplay it. Don't say, well, it's mild, I don't need to take medication. Because we know that if we treat it a little bit more aggressively, you control it better and you do better in life. And uh, the third for parents is try to get your kids to take the medicine because kids just will not take their medicine unless you watch them. So a lot of parents, especially of teenagers, say, well, they're old enough to take care of themselves, I, but they won't take their medicine. So I encourage all parents to really keep an eye on whether their kids are taking their asthma medication. And I encourage every adult with asthma to really seriously take their medicine regularly. I have a son-in-law who's actually a physician here and he has pretty bad asthma and I cannot get him 
to take his medication on a regular basis. And so he gets sick and then he starts taking it and then when he's off of it, he does, feels better, he stops it. Can't do that, you gotta be consistent. Amen, I think that's a good lesson for us all that you know, a lot of times that you know, these medications may make us feel better in that short term, but really it's that maintenance phase that uh, is, helps us to be able to sustain this and prevent these sort of acute illnesses and exacerbations or changes in this. So, Dr. Carter, thank you so much for your time today. Greatly appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank if you. you. If you've missed any part of our show, or want to hear something again, you can access our blogs and podcasts at valleywisehealth.org be well. Thank you again and have a great week. We hope you enjoyed listening to Wellness Now, brought to you by Valleywise Health and District Medical Group. If you're looking for more information about what you heard today, visit us online at valleywisehealth.org be well. There you'll find blogs, podcasts, and information about the healthcare providers you heard on the show. You can even book an appointment at a Valleywise Community Health Center near you. That's valleywisehealth.org slash be well. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll tune in again soon.